Greetings from Hannibal, Missouri. And welcome to Rivertown Review, the podcast. An informative and hopefully entertaining look at all things Hannibal. With Megan Rapp. People tend to come, visit, they like it here, they move here. And Harold Smith. In our biased viewpoint, this part of the country, this community, is an excellent place to be from. And now, Rivertown Review, the podcast. It is time to go. It is episode 27 of the Rivertown Review podcast. I'm Harold Smith. And I'm Megan Rapp. Uh, sufficiently caffeinated uh, at this point. Almost. Almost. Almost yeah. there. Almost there, indeed. The last time that we uh, were with you, we kind of did a little tease about what would we, we would be doing this time. And sure enough, uh, we're going to be doing that this time. I think, was that our first foreshadowing episode? Something like, like that. Like, this is yeah. what we are going to do. We didn't have another blooming point. thing to talk about, so we talked about what we were going to talk about. We were just sitting out on the virtual front porch. That's just right. Having a little chat. That's, mm-hmm. that's what we are what we do, what we're known for, what our tens and tens of listeners of our radio show seem to enjoy. Yes. So we uh, thought we'd bring it to the podcast. Why not? The podcast verse. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> they, yeah, pod, pod, okay. The pod verse? Pod verse. Mm-hmm. That sounds a little too alien. Yeah, a little too much. Yeah. The, we get to cross, you and I both get to cross paths with a lot of neat people along the way. And my... Uh, to me, some of the neatest people out there, I like to use the term Renaissance people, uh, people that can do that have done it all, uh, and just done a variety of things. And you just go, man, you got to be exhausted and have the fantastic, fascinating stories to back them up. Uh, oh yeah, exactly. And, uh, and we've got one of, in, in my opinion, one of those people with us today, I know on our original list, cause in podcasting one oh one. They said you need to make a list of people, of topics, that kind of thing. And Jim Waddell was on that list. Most definitely. And I concur with the Renaissance man. So two people, obviously, it's a fact. Well, now, how am I ever going to live up to a buildup like that? <laughs> it might possibly be the best opener that you have ever received. I, I don't know. Probably is. So I'll just say good night now and thank you very much for listening. <laughs> right. That's the flip side. I've always said, because I've been on stage a time or two and introduced a few people, and I, I, I've often said, uh, you know, there's some time I'd like to – to just say, here's a person that needs no introduction, and, and just sit just and off. just sit down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but no, uh, Jim Jim Waddell and uh, Megan. Last time we got together was talking a little bit about your exploit. You got to be exhausted by now, man. You have lived quite a life. Yeah, and I'm only 37. I, well, <laughs> well, you certainly don't look. <laughs> I don't look it, do I? No, you don't. No. That that's no. what a lifetime of experience oh, will do. Oh, no, you know, easy. I'll tell you what, Harold. You know, I I think that you know life is relatively brief. And if you do not have experiences, you will not have memories. And if you do not have memories, you'll sit around in your dotage and, uh, and uh, uh, complain about the things that you wish you had done and did not. And I do not want to be one of those people. No, I'd rather, rather uh, what, right. uh, wear, rust out the, or wear out than rust out. Even mm-hmm. failure has a certain charm to it, <laughs> you know, if you live through it. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, well, whatever doesn't, what, whatever doesn't kill you makes you strong. That's about when, it. Yeah. When one of my um, uh, podcast things, I, I do, I listen to other podcasts. <gasps> I know. It's not cheating on your own. If you create your own podcast, you can also listen to others. But I think you live by the, you know, failure is not fatal. 
basically, no. you know, um, not that you have failed a lot, but yeah, you know, you just, you have experiences and new experiences, new things. Not every idea or every plan is going to work, but if all else fails, it makes a great story. I remember an old childhood rhyme. It says, uh, experience is a teacher, but here's what makes me burn. It's always teaching me the things I do not care to learn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, didn't need to know that. No. Oh, why did yeah. you put me? Why did I go through that? Uh, but to, to say that Jim has uh, run a, uh, you know, taken the scenic route to get to, uh, to, get to Hannibal, Missouri, and to uh, do the things that he does now, that would be the understatement of the day. Uh, probably so. Probably so. I, you know, I'm a, a, originally a farm boy from Louisiana, Missouri. I, I grew up down there. And uh, sure. I, I was born in Louisiana. Were you? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Pike County Hospital. Uh, actually, I was in a little place called Mineral Springs Hospital. Okay. Which was a little building back behind. Um, well, it's the, I think it's the, the VFW. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. What's now the VFW. Right, it was right. the Kro It was the Kroger store when I was growing okay, up. Okay. Well, I remember that old Kroger store. Sure. It was now, right, right back, back behind that. My mm -hmm. grandfather used to sell live chickens to the Pike County hospital. And in the afternoon you could go out in back of the hospital and see the cooks pulling the heads off the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Things are different now. It's a shame, really. Oh, yeah, you ain't going to find that at Hannibal Regional. No, no. no. You ain't gonna find it. Well, I don't know. Have you ever been there in the afternoon? <laughs> well, in the I have not. I have not. Now, yeah, that's right. In fairness, yeah. we should we should investigate before we yeah. make any false charges. Yeah, let, yeah let, me, let me get Robin on the phone, and we'll, 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 we'll see what she has to say about that. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. That'll, that'll work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Only long dead chickens were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yeah, that's right. A little asterisk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just just in case you wonder, we don't want the the PETA people or anybody like that. You know, and we're like less than a minute, and we've already digressed. I love it. This oh, is my yeah. favorite part of the podcast. Yeah. She thinks we've only done one minute <laughs> or five. Uh, well, six actually, but six. Hey, but who's counting? Yeah, that's right. That that's why that's what we told Jim before we started here. You know, time constraints, podcast. Yeah, we 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 say we we say. Fie upon that, or whatever, pashaw, or pashaw. Yeah, that's it, or, ju or just, pfft. yeah, and yeah, whatever works. But I uh, never could roll my lips like that. I couldn't make that sound. <laughs> well, that's which is why. very disappointing when you're a child because everybody else could do it. Yeah, everybody really does go. Pfft. Yeah. yeah, especially in Louisiana, Missouri. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. that sounds right. Now Louisiana was a charming little town. It's back when I was a child. It was beautiful. I mean, uh, because all of the stores. Were thriving at that point in time. It was an agricultural community, but all of the little tiny brick buildings were filled with businesses, and it sure. was. And people would dress up in nice clothes on Saturday afternoon and go to town. Oh yeah. And, uh, people walking up and down the sidewalks, like most small towns, it has uh, uh, suffered the pangs of of progression. There's no real jobs there for young people, so they move out. Hannibal is so fortunate, I think to be thriving and even growing now. And uh, uh, it's, it's so wonderful to hear people who travel to our community talk about how nice Hannibal is. And I think we've got a good future here, I really do. Yeah, I mean, that's been the, kind of the unofficial when we first sat down and figured, well, what are we, where are we going with this podcast? You know, our, our mantra has been, uh, if you've never been here, we want you to come. Yeah. If you've been here before, we want you to come back. And if you're looking around to relocate, and we okay. and and we all know examples. I'm sure you do too of people that oh, fit, yes. especially the last category. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's uh, people uh, with uh, entrepreneurial spirits are moving into town, and that's really good because, you know, I, if I was an economic forecaster, I would probably believe that the future of, of uh, our economy is going to be based on small uh, businesses, and I think we're ripe for small business growth more than large commercialization. We're not going to get an Amazon hub like New York and Washington mm. because we don't have $2 billion to give Amazon to entice them to come here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, But our small businesses, I think, will continue to strive. I certainly hope so. Well, they we're as we sit here uh, mid November, we're just a couple of minutes, couple of minutes, couple of weeks away from from Small Business Saturday, yeah. uh, which is the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. Which and that, I mean, it is the smart. Yeah, we hear you know the Amazons and all the they yeah. the, the heavy hitters. They get all of the press. And you hear about them, yeah. but it's the small business people. It's the mom moms and the yeah. pops. They make it run. Yep. Now I've had a couple of small businesses myself, and uh, both uh, they were they were. Uh, <laughs> They were not successful. <laughs> but, hey, you know but, what? Hey, it it worked. You know, it worked for John Marshall Clemens, father of Mark Twain. Yeah. Look, yeah, from the ashes rose Mark Twain. Yeah. That's right. My first, Although he also had some small businesses. My to first do. sojourn into the <laughs> yeah. business world. I, um, I should say that uh, after uh, leaving Louisiana, Missouri, I did a stint with the University of Missouri. That was not successful. <laughs> 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 but I learned a lot. It just wasn't academic. <laughs> life lessons is what uh, you life lessons is what life I learned. Lessons. See, that never happens to a college student, does it? <laughs> no, never. No. Oh no. Uh-uh. Oh no. It was just astounding. But 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 uh, I, I went down to uh, Branson, Missouri, in uh, 1972. Branson, Missouri, was a tiny little place down then. There was just a, a handful of amenities. Uh, Silver Dollar City was 12 years old. And uh, I was the 301st person they ever hired. Mm. That's what my ID card said. And uh, it was just a, li- a little tiny spot. But uh, uh, in 74, I went to New Orleans, and I worked for the Sinesta Hotel for a while. And then I got upset because the food and beverage manager fired my girlfriend, so I quit. Of course. And Of course. Yeah. And... and uh, uh, I knew a young man who was about my age. Let's see, I would have been about, uh, oh, 24 at the time, who was going to try to open his own restaurant. And so he and I and a young lady named Pam Fortner scraped together $5,000, which was a lot of money for us back then, Mm -hmm. and managed to open a little place in the 900 block of Royal Street in the French Quarter called Trios. We had a French-Italian Creole cuisine. Uh, full liquor license and a wine cellar. And uh, we ran that for the better part of a year and sold it for a small profit. But uh, it was horrendous. I mean, I think restaurant <laughs> business is the toughest business oh, anyone yeah. can be in. Yeah. There is nothing people are more particular about than what they put in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh and plus, it's 17 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. Mm-hmm. So by the time our run was finished, we hated each other <laughs> and everybody else. And, and the population at large. Yes. Just everyone. Everybody. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You were drawing breath. We don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
there was a young man that worked for us. Uh, his name was Daryl Evans. He was a genius. He was an uh, African-American young man, and he grew up in the ghetto there, the, uh, the old uh, uh, Desire Projects, which if you ever, if you recall Tennessee Williams' play, Streetcar Named Desire, there is the Desire Projects in New Orleans. And it's a, oh, back, okay. back in gotcha. those days, it was, ah, it was, it was yes. a murderous neighborhood mm-hmm. back in, in, in well, a time. But Devin was a wonderful young man. And uh, I was in the, uh, uh, working in the pantry one evening. We were making salads before our dinner uh, group came in. And Devin said to me, he says, uh, Jim, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm, I'm from Missouri. Daryl, and he says, Missouri, is that anywhere close to Kansas? And I said, well, yes, it's, it's right next door to Kansas. He says, well, I've been to Kansas. And I said, well, what did you think of it? And he said, it was hard to tell looking out that little tiny window. Mm. And I said, where were you in Kansas, Daryl? And he said, Leavenworth. <laughs> and I said, well, what were you doing in Leavenworth? He says, well, he says, I, I was in, uh, in the Army. And uh, I cut a man. I don't understand it. They told me the infantry was expendable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. But, uh, you know, the, uh, it, 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 whose idea was it to have this guy come yeah. in here? To, yeah. Whose idea was it? Daryl was wonderful. I, you know, he would, um, um, I happened to live in the, in the building where our restaurant was. And uh, there was an L on each. Uh, there were two L's, actually, that came out in the back. And we had a courtyard in the back. And I lived on the second story uh, on one L. And the other L was a, a man named Glenn Hamilton. And he was over at my house playing chess one night, or came over to play chess with me. And Daryl was there. And... Uh, Daryl played him, and and there was Glenn was was a brilliant young man, but but there was no way he could beat Daryl at chess. Daryl was honestly one of the most intelligent people I have ever encountered in my life, but you know he grew up in very poor circumstances. But that that certainly did not, you know, I I would like to I would like to track him down now and see what became of him because I think because of his attitude, he had a wonderful attitude. He was uh, a diligent worker, and he was amazingly intelligent. I would like to find out, you know, a lot of times things don't work out for people. I, I, I ran into a, a young man in, uh, I was in Brazil one time and I ran into a, uh, it was, I got there late in the afternoon in Rio de Janeiro and I walked out of my hotel. I was exhausted and I, but I wanted to see a little bit of the place before I went to sleep. And I walked by this open air cafe called Maxime's and there was uh, a, a, a black man sitting there and as I passed by him, he said something to me in Italian. And I don't speak Italian, so I just shook my head and walked on. And uh, like I said, I was really tired, and I, I didn't go very far, and I came back towards the hotel. And as I passed by the second time, he said something to me in German. Huh. Well, I don't speak German either. So I shook him <laughs> off. I went upstairs. I took a nap for a couple of hours. I woke up. It was uh, early evening. I walked out of the hotel, past Maxime's. He's still sitting there, and he says to me, would you like to rent an apartment? <laughs> this guy, I ended up hiring him. I was, there for, I was there for two weeks. I hired him as a guide. His name was Fran, Fernando Francesco Alpalo. He had a third-grade education, and he spoke five languages his uh, right arm was shriveled up because when he was eight years old he had fallen downstairs and broken his arm and his parents were too poor to afford medical attention but uh, uh, Daryl was just made a living by 
by street work. And down there, you'd have to understand, down there, I mean, 1% of the population controls, 99% of the wealth, and everybody else is incredibly poor. And they live in these areas they call favelas, which are, are, are tin shacks built on the sides of hills. And when it rains very hard, they tumble down and people get killed. And he lived in a little building with eight people, little like a one-room building. And his whole family depended on him to provide for their sustenance. And he did. But, uh, amazing ways. Uh, but I had one for one that guy. He sent me Christmas cards after I came back. Thank you for joining us for the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We want to remind you that if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Also, for comments and suggestions, you can email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com and visit us at rivertownreview.com and Rivertown Review on Facebook. Two things about this this story, stories, story. <laughs> I'm not sure how many we One, were in there, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we have just, for those people that did not know what a Renaissance man was, now you do, because mm-hmm. we started out in Louisiana, Missouri, ended up in New Orleans, got out to Leavenworth, Kansas, and then um, Brazil. And also, you have just witnessed um, the way Mark Twain told stories, mm-hmm. because it wasn't about the destination. <laughs> It's really how much it's you enjoy. It's a journey. You point, know? point A to point B, <laughs> Lord knows. Yeah, it the, is not a straight line, but no. it is darn entertaining. Absolutely. The, the, the old family circus comic strips on Sunday morning, the, the Sunday funnies, they'd have the little boy going from, from uh, like that, the, the school, the playground to the house, and they'd show the, the route that circus. he went yeah, yes. to, to get there. Yeah. We yeah. had that puzzle. That puzzle. A family circus puzzle, uh-huh. and it and it even in it, yeah, yeah, with the Billy's with the, route home, squiggly, uh-huh. yes, with yes squiggly exactly. Line. Yes, so so how so how so what got you from New Orleans to Hannibal? Well, well, uh, New Orleans to from New Orleans from Brazil the, the, by from, way of Leavenworth and Brazil, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We sold that restaurant there on Royal Street, yes, and I went back to work for the Royal Sinesta Hotel. And I was there until 1980, and I had worked at Silver Dollar City for uh, three years prior to that. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm missing a step. <laughs> I took a job on the Mississippi Queen. There you go. First of all, okay. Uh, uh, in the galley, which is their restaurant, and I was I crewed for two weeks. Now that was uh, uh, an incredible experience because the cruise quarters were slightly below water level, and sometimes the sump pumps didn't work. Oh, oh no. Now, I worked there. I worked a 17-hour shift split into three shifts. Oh. So the longest period of time I ever had to sleep was four hours. Oh, good. And quite often, you would wake up pitch black, roll out of your bunk into 18 inches of the Mississippi River. splash. (laughs) I have taken a shower in water up to my knees. (laughs) Holy moly. So that just lasted two weeks. Imagine that, yeah. So uh, I called up uh, Silver Dollar City. I had worked for their entertainment division there. And uh, the guy that was running the entertainment division when I called them was a man named Jim Watson. I'd never met him. But I called him up to see if there were any positions. And he said, oh, yes, Jim, I've heard of you. He says, no problem. Come on up. Got a job for you. Come on right now. 
So I got there in about three days, and in that interim, Jim Watson had taken a job in California, packed up and left, and nobody knew that I was coming. Oh, good. So I didn't have a job. <laughs> but I did know people there, and I got on as a train robber. Now, I don't know for – I'm sure some of your listeners have been to Silver Dollar City, and I've, train robbing is the yeah, – oh, that yeah. is the best job on park. <laughs> Because you only rob a train, on a normal day, you rob a train twice an hour. And that's about a five-minute robbery. And if it's mm. raining a little bit, the train doesn't stop. So you just wave them at them as they go by. I've, I've so, been on the train and, and been robbed. So and, was, and for those right. of our listeners in France or other people that don't know what Silver Dollar City is, it's, it's, a, it's a fun park, a theme park. So, so it is not an actual train robbery. No, not now, an actual now, city or yeah, that kind of at, thing. At Silver Dollar City, I was a train robber. I was a bear handler. They had black bear cubs. Ooh. I was a rainmaker. <laughs> I made rain. Mm. I was a medicine man. As a matter of fact, I still remember part of that spiel. Um, folks, I had an impediment of speech, an obstruction of the vocal organs. That's right, I was tongue-tied. But I came across this precious compound, swallowed just half an ounce, and ever since to the satisfaction of my family, my friends, and an assembled world, I have been volubly, rapidly, and successfully, interminably, unremittingly, most eloquently, sounding the praises of this incomparable, infallible, ineffable, and appreciable, never-failing, all-healing, spot-removing, beauty-restoring, magical, radical, tragical, erasive soap. Friends, it takes the stains from your britches, the spots from your coat, removes the dirt, and diffuses a general cheerfulness about the character of the entire outer being. <laughs> yes, that, that deserves a round of applause. That Oh, yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, you played many parts. I well, played many parts there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the way it is with Silver Dollar City. You're, you're Lord knows where you might wind up at well, any given time. In the good old days, that was such a magical place because you were only confined by your imagination. Now, it has changed, and I do not want to say anything derogatory about that business, but because of the incredible growth that has occurred mm -hmm. in the Branson area, sure, it has. It is not the old style thing that I love and cherish any longer. Yeah. Uh, I'm the people there are still wonderful. I was just there uh, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I've, I uh, worked in Branson for about a year, about yeah. about five years ago. I crossed paths with the Hershens, and oh uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Pete, Pete, what a what a neat I guy. See, yeah, and I saw Jack Hershen when I was down there just couple weeks ago yeah they were a wonderful family you bet yeah wonderful people yeah uh and so after silver dollars after city, silver dollars yeah. what happened was to Hannibal? uh i uh, uh <laughs> i'd taken a sabbatical there was a um a, a one of their craftsmen ron huff has a, a particular uh, has a particular product that uh, was very marketable and uh, i had done a craft show using ron's product and was extremely successful with it and uh, I thought that uh, I would go down to Florida and make a, a fortune with this stuff. It was, uh, it was uh, artwork where you, you uh, painted somebody's name on a mailbox, for instance. It was, they were all, all of his works were, were uh, very uh, beautiful uh, country scenes with log cabins and old houses, and there'd be a mailbox in front of it where you'd paint on uh, Megan Rapp gotcha. or Harold. Gotcha. You know? yeah, I mean, right. So it was very nice. And so I took it down to Florida, and I showed it to Disney, and I showed it to Anheuser-Busch, at, in Tampa at Bush Gardens. Both of them liked it, and I got concessions in both places. So I started an art dealership in Florida. And I had two outlets. One was in Frontierland in Disney World. The other was uh, uh, in front of the uh, exotic bird 
exhibition area in Bush Gardens. And it was the old principle of anything that could go wrong will. Mm-hmm. Mur- Murphy's Law. Murphy's yep. Law. Mm-hmm. After a year, I was bankrupt. And so, uh, and at that point in time, I mean, I was penniless. Now, being from this area, I came back here. And since my background was always tourism, the only market for my type of skills was here in Hannibal. So I started out by managing the Mark Twain Outdoor Theater, which the Steinman family was running at that time. Sure. And uh, which is, I'm so sad. Uh, Clarence told me recently that they bulldozed down the set from uh, uh, the, the, that theater, which is, you know, that's heartbreaking to me. It was a lovely sure. setting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. that's what got me back to Hannibal. And one night we'd had uh, out there at the theater, we had uh, a bus group scheduled, 40 some odd people. And there was a thunderstorm rolling in. I had to cancel the show because there's a lot of little kids in that show, and they're out on the water a lot, and we can't have them on the water if there's lightning. Yeah, for for those who don't know, that you had the the stage was it out, was outdoor theater out in in a lake. That lake was it was man-made lake. It was 80 feet across and 900 feet long, with woods on either side. The audience sat on one side. The set was on the other side. It looked like the Mississippi River. We had a riverboat. It was basically a 50 foot long pontoon boat that was two stories. Uh, run by an old 35-horsepower Evinrude, but it looked like a riverboat, you know. Now, it was a beautiful set, really. But I'd canceled the show, and uh, Annie Steinman ran the restaurant up on the hill, and they had purchased dinner theater tickets, and they were sitting in the restaurant, and she said, they want some kind of entertainment. Can't you come up here and do some Mark Twain? Well, I'd been reading Mark Twain. I have a history of performing, of course, and their costumes were there. So I thought, well, I'll just go up and wing 15 minutes of it. That was the most embarrassing, humiliating <laughs> time of my life. And I realized then if I was going to do this, that I'd better, yeah. I'd better actually capture some of this stuff to memory. And uh, so that, that basically got me started. Yeah. So a so. thunderstorm got you started. A thunder bolt of lightning got me started as portraying Mark Twain. Yes, yes. And that, and that, was, that was how long ago? That would have been 94. Five maybe or ninety six, mm-hmm. yeah. So over over twenty years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, and that, oh yeah, and that's been that's been your that's been that's been your gig. Yeah, for, for ever since. Yeah, among I, various and other uh, among among yeah, other, among other things. things. As, yeah. as a true Renaissance man, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's also done many, uh, many blacksmithing. Other yeah, yeah. <laughs> blacksmithing, building yeah. uh, strawbale houses, strawbale houses. And, yeah, uh, many many other things. But it has also taken you around the country, taking you around the, the world even. Yeah. You I've, went- I've, had the, I've had the honor of representing the state of Missouri in uh, Canada and Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, did an uh, international tourism convention in Nashville at Opryland. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's, there's been some wonderful experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and we, the, the main reason that we brought Jim in here to begin with was since – as this is being recorded, we are bearing down on the Christmas season. One of Mark Twain's uh, contributions to the to the holiday season, uh, he wrote a letter that he he wrote as Santa Claus. Uh, it's a letter. Uh, uh, apparently, this this happened in nineteen or in 1875, and uh, this was a letter that was addressed to one of his daughters. Uh, and was delivered to or read to her on a Christmas morning. Uh, It was to Susie Clemens. I've got the letter right here. I'm going to read it to you. Palace of St. Nicholas, 
in the moon Christmas morning. My dear Susie Clemens, I have received and read all the letters which you and your little sister have written me by the hand of your mother and your nurses. I have also read those which you little people have written me with your own hands. For although you did not use any characters that are in grown people's alphabet, you used the characters that all children in all lands on earth and in the twinkling stars use. And as all my subjects in the moon are children and use no characters but that, you will easily understand that I can read you and your baby sister's jagged and fantastic marks without any trouble at all. But I had trouble with those letters which you dictated through your mother and the nurses, for I am a foreigner and cannot read English writing well. You will find that I made no mistakes about the things which you and the baby ordered in your own letters. I went down your chimney at midnight when you were asleep and delivered them all myself, and kissed both of you too, because you are good children, well-trained, nice-mannered, and about the most obedient little children I ever saw. But in the letter which you dictated, there are some words which I could not make out for certain, and one or two small orders which I could not fill because we ran out of stock. Our last lot of kitchen furniture for dolls has just gone to a very poor little child in the North Star away up in the cold country, above the Big Dipper. Your mama can show you that star, and you will say, Little Snowflake, for that is the child's name. I'm glad you got that furniture, for you need it more than I. That is, you must write it with your own hand, and Snowflake will write you an answer. If you only spoke it, she wouldn't hear you. Make your letter light and thin, for the distance is great and the postage very heavy. <laughs> there was a word or two in your mama's letter which I couldn't be certain of. I took it to be a trunk full of doll's clothes. Is that it? I will call at your kitchen door about 9 o'clock this morning to inquire, but I must not see anybody. And I must not speak to anybody but you. When the, do when the kitchen doorbell rings, George must be blindfolded and sent to open the door. Then he must go back to the dining room or, or the china closet and take the cook with him. You must tell George he must walk on tiptoe and not speak, otherwise he will die someday. <laughs> then you must go up to the nursery and stand on a chair or the nurse's bed and put your ear to the speaking tube that leads down to the kitchen. And when I whistle through it, you must speak in the tube and say, Welcome, Santa Claus. Then I will ask, whether it was a trunk you ordered or not, if you say it was, I shall ask you what color you want the trunk to be. Your mama will help you name a nice color. And then you must tell me every single thing in detail which you want the trunk to contain. Then when I say goodbye and a Merry Christmas to my little Susie Clemens, you must say goodbye, good old Santa Claus. I thank you very much. And please tell that little snowflake I will look at her star tonight and she must look down here. I will be right here in the West Bay window. And every fine night, I will look at her star and say, I know somebody up there and like her too. Then you must go down into the library and make George close all the doors that open into the main hall. And everybody must keep still for a little while. I'll go to the moon and get those things. And in a few minutes, I will come down the chimney that belongs to the fireplace that is in the hall. If it's a trunk you want, because I couldn't get such a thing as a trunk down the nursery chimney, you know. <laughs> People may talk if they want until they hear my footsteps in the hall. Then you tell them to keep quiet a little while till I go back up the chimney. Maybe you will not hear my footsteps at all. 
So you may go now and then and peep through the dining room doors, and by and by you will see that thing which you want right under the piano in the drawing room, for I shall put it there. If I should leave any snow in the hall, you must tell George to sweep it under the fireplace, for I haven't time to do such things. George must not use a broom but a rag, or else he will die someday. <laughs> <laughs> you must watch George, not let him run into danger. If my boot should leave a stain on the marble, George must hollystone it away. Leave it there always, or must not hollystone it away. Leave it there always in memory of my visit. And whenever you look at it or show it to anybody, you must let it remind you to be a good little girl. Whenever you are naughty and somebody points to that mark, which your good old Santa Claus's boot made on the marble, what will you say, little sweetheart? Goodbye for a few minutes till I come down to the world and ring the kitchen doorbell. Your loving Santa Claus, whom some people call the man in the moon. <laughs> and that was Clemens' letter to his daughter Susie when she was three years old. Yeah, that's so our Rivertown Review's contribution to the to the holiday season uh, comes from comes from the guy that that where this all started. That's uh, it, it's all about it's all about Mark Twain, Sam Clemens, the river. Um, that's why that's in some form or fashion. That's why all all of us sitting in this room do what we do. Very true. Very yeah. true. Yep. Been an inspiration to all of us. Indeed. Yeah. I, I don't know that we can do there's much more to say after that. You can't really top Mark Twain, even no. if he is writing as Santa Claus. So no. I would say this has been our Christmas episode. Yeah. Closest we're going to come to anyway. Our well, it's been very nice being with you guys today. Yes, really we, appreciate we, it. We got some, something tells me he might have one or two more stories if we if we wanted to do this again at some point. You know, it seems like the more <laughs> the more we bring in interesting people, um, the, the the more we're like, oh, we're gonna have this person back. We've got to have this person back. Yeah, we need to have this person back. Get a supplemental list. We had a started out with a list. Now we're gonna have a have a second list of people we have got to have back. That's okay. yeah. But. And Jim, we really appreciate you reading the letter. It, it, I'm sure people noticed that you you took on a little bit different form of, of, of diction because you do portray Mark Twain, and so you read that as Mark Twain. Of course, one of our Mark Twain um, performers here in Hannibal, and so we will let Mark. Twain give us the final word um, in the form of his his letter to his young daughter and we thank you for coming well thank you very much very good I'm Harold Smith and I'm Megan Rapp that's episode 27 of the Rivertown Review podcast we'll see you next time thank you for joining us for Rivertown Review the podcast for more information on all things Hannibal visit our website rivertownreview.com if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com. And be sure and join Megan and Harold next time for Rivertown Review, the podcast. <laughs>